The Polar Talks 2015 are brought to you in association with SAS Scandinavian Airlines. Let's get an international perspective on the Swedish music phenomenon. And please welcome our moderator of this talk, director of Musik Sverige, Linda Portnoff. <laughs> and Musik Sverige, for those of you who do not know what that is, is the organization gathering the music stakeholders in Sweden. So it's Music Sweden. And this is where we, together, work out strategies for the future and also share knowledge and really creating bridges between different stakeholders in the music business. And who better could present this panel than the head of Musik Sverige, Linda Portnoff. Thank you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, honorable guests, um, please let me introduce you to our eminent panel here uh, that have been invited to give us an international outlook on the Swedish music scene. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to uh, be guiding you through this discussion. And uh, first, to my right, we have Phil Manzanera. You are a musician, writer, producer, uh, who joined uh, Roxy Music as lead guitarist in your early 20s. Sure. Still going strong, touring the world. Yes. Doing a lot of musical collaborations. Lots so. of very different things, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You will tell us more about that later. And uh, then next to Phil, we have uh, John Seabrook, who uh, is the author of, uh, yes, <laughs> he's an author. <laughs> of several books on uh, creativity and uh, commerce, which uh, happens to be the topic of my PhD thesis, too. Ah, so great. we'll have we a have great a discussion. <laughs> uh, your upcoming book, The Song Machine, will be published later this fall. And uh, besides writing books, you also, you're a staff writer for The New Yorker. That's right. And uh, then the last but not least, we have Fred Bronson. Um, <laughs> You are uh, an author, too, a journalist, a writer uh, for notably Billboard magazine, is that right? But yes. also uh, LA Times, The Hollywood Reporter, uh, yeah. some other, a yes. A little bit for the LA Times and a lot for The Hollywood mm -hmm. Reporter. <laughs> and uh, you have also guest starred on the popular TV show American Idol. And uh, you know everything about how these American idols chart on the Billboard lists. I do. Yeah, that I learned no from Wikipedia. No one else has bothered to pay any attention, so I got it all to myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a warm welcome to all of you. Uh, so let's start with uh, your take on uh, the current Swedish music scene. How's it doing, Phil? Do you mean the songwriters who are basically having hits uh, all over the world? <laughs> was my first question was actually going to be, you know, how do you associate to the Swedish music phenomenon? Well, I think most people outside of Sweden 
the first thing they think of is ABBA. And I think that is the key to um, really the success of Swedish music outside of, of Sweden, in that they managed to uh, give us fantastic melodies mm. and fantastic choruses with simple, um, catchy phrases. But when I was uh, uh, trying to work out uh, why is it that Swedish uh, writers in particular can do that, and one of the most basic things I think is that you all speak English so well. And mm. there aren't many countries in Europe where people can speak English so well. As I've sat and listened to all these conversations, I'm <laughs> staggered mm. how well uh, the knowledge of English is. And I think that really is that combined with obviously the tradition of uh, folk songs and maybe singing here mm. uh, is a big, big fundamental reason. But I mean, they, they have, before ABBA, you know, in the 60s, w there were some fantastic bands that we used to love, like Burning Red Ivanhoe was one of my favorites. But um, a totally different kind of music. Mm. But um, let me pass this on now. Yeah, well, what are your associations? You know, well, I, I, would, I was just going to comment on something that Phil said about English speaking. Yes, it's true that one of the reasons the Swedes have been so successful in making pop music for English-speaking countries is the English, uh, the level of English-speaking in Sweden is it's so uh, embedded. On the other hand, there is an advantage in not having English as your first language, I think, when you're writing song lyrics, because I think American songwriters can sometimes get up too caught up in metaphor or clever wordplay, and it doesn't really convey the melody in the way that uh, a writer of words who is first hearing the, the music and then looking for the words to serve the melody, particularly in a pop song realm, can really put across a very powerful lyric. All uh, that she wants is another baby. Right, I mean, I mean <laughs> or hit me baby that? one more time. I don't think any US writer would have written hit me baby one more time because yeah. it sounds a little bit like a domestic violence song. <laughs> but in fact, it was the, you know, the, the lingo for call me up, which Max Martin and Dennis Pop thought, oh, this, this sounds great. Let's like, hit me baby one more time. So I think, and I, I think the general point here is one of the great gifts that the Swedes have in terms of the American market is the outsiderness, is being able to sort of look at the, the idioms, the genres, in particular the the, the split between R&B and pop, which in America is, is a very sort of racially charged, um, quite balkanized split. And, and in turn, like, we took one example, for example, the Backstreet Boys, which was kind of the beginning of the whole Cheron takeover of, of the US market. When the Backstreet Boys started off, they wanted to be boys to men. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to be an R&B group. And Jive, the label said, hey, you guys are not an R&B group because you're white. So we're going to have pop songwriters writing songs for you guys. And then they couldn't find any songs that they liked. So then the label guy said, well, maybe I'll just ask some of my urban songwriters. And as he said to me, this guy Dave McPherson, who was the A&R guy, they looked at him like he had two heads. Like, what, you want me to write for this pop group? And so who was going to write their songs? And then, of course, it was, it was Dennis and Max who were able to kind of bridge that gap, that R&B 
pop gap and essentially write what's now called rhythmic pop music. He sort of created a whole genre, I think, of rhythmic pop music, which now dominates the, the radio, but in a way that I don't think American writers could have done because they were too sort of caught up in this kind of R&B pop black-white divide. So that allows us to be more playful and... It, it allows, it allow, I think, you know, culture and art are, are the history of outsiders, people mm. who see forms and see possibilities because they are not limited by the cultural milieu in which those forms and possibilities mm. exist. I think one funny thing is that in America, at least, we had this mythology that Benny and Bjorn didn't speak English mm -hmm. and that they were writing in Swedish, they have people help them. And I said, well, I don't know, everyone learns English in first grade. I'm sure they're not the only two people in Sweden who don't speak English. So I would try to convince people that they actually did write their lyrics in English. But they absolutely got better as they went along. I mean, you take the early things like Honey, Honey and compare it to the day before you came. And you know, you could see their, their growth in writing English lyrics as you go through their mm -hmm. career. When we talk about the Sweden as a great nation uh, when it comes to music, in my daily work, uh, often when I brag about Swedish music, it's from an economic viewpoint. Um, at Musiksveje, we have gathered statistics on the music industry's revenue for four successive years now. And the curves are pointing in a straight direction, and that is up for all different areas. Live music, the revenue from recorded music is going up from copyrights. Um, uh, now, our data is quite recent. We started measuring this in 2010. But uh, even if we look back and compare the earlier Swedish music to the rest of the world, ABBA, Roxette, Ace of Base, uh, they stand up to the international competition. Uh, both in terms of popularity and revenue, a and how come? I mean, that's the, that's the, the key question we're going to talk about. Why is that? Well, surely it's down to the individuals. They're just very good at what they do. <laughs> they can write a great chorus. There's certain individuals. And we're, not, we're, we're, talking, we're not talking about thousands of songwriters doing this, are we? We're really talking about... 20 a handful. or, or yeah. six, or, you know, and less, in, in, in e less than that, yeah. And each, um, if we compare it with the Brill Building in New York, um, mm. there was about six people right, six. there who mm. were six absolutely fantastic at what they did. And the zeitgeist is now here <laughs> in Sweden uh, and in Stockholm, probably, uh, but of course they're traveling all over because they're much in demand now and through the internet, mm. but they're just very good at their job, you know, but, but and they can export it very well. I mean, well. we've been talking all day about, mm. you know, what kind of individuals mm. that are fostered here in Sweden. Uh, what are the things that well, you want? I yeah. think there's like a convergence of five or six things that any one of which would have perhaps changed the picture. So, yes, you have this tradition of melodic music going back into the folk music and into church music, a lot of melody in, in sort of Swedish music. Then you have uh, a technolo technologically savvy population, mm -hmm. just at the time when music is starting to be made on computers. Yeah. So these are people who are early adopters, not only of Macs and, and PCs, but also of Pro Tools and Logic. 
and, be, and, and start to understand how to use them to, to make pop songs. That's, that's the second thing. The third thing is, and this came up in the, in the fashion panel, working in groups. The ability of, of Swedes to, in America, I think it's very challenging for large groups of people to work together in writing songs just because everyone is thinking about the dollar signs all the time and who's going to get the credit for this and who's going to get the credit for the. The Swedes don't seem to be as caught up in that whole sort of, you know, uh, make a million on, on a pop song thing. So, so that's the third thing. And I think, yeah, the English language thing is fourth. And, and the outsiderness is fifth. And they, and, and, and the precedent of ABBA, I think the fact that it had happened once, that someone had really made a big success, international success, just in the way that Bjorn Borg probably inspired a whole Same thing world of me. tennis yeah. players yeah. to play tennis. Yeah. You know, so ABBA inspired a whole nother generation. And I guess the last thing there was the education in the schools. Yeah. Having the music education in the schools, which is very different from in the States where people mm -hmm. really you know, don't have that kind of you don't, background. I, I think I've read somewhere that Sweden has been described as a study circle democracy. Uh, the study circles, like wh when I played in a band, I could always find the possibility to rehearse in the middle of the city. I could even get the uh, rent financed by the study circle. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you yeah, guys don't have that in the they, UK? Not it's, really. it's always a, a battle to find somewhere to, to rehearse for bands and for right. young, young musicians. It's always a struggle. These are very basic, fundamental things that you need to start out. Right. To you need a van and you need a room. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it used to be that way. Now all you need, it seems, is a, a, a computer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you need a MacBook and a room and do it. Yeah. Well, especially this kind of song construction. And of course, you know, this is just one aspect of the music business mm. because the, uh, there's obviously bands who are writing in the traditional way and writing amongst themselves. But we're here, we're specifically talking about people who, like the Brill Building writers, write pop and for well-known artists who can't write their own material, really. You know, I think this is so interesting. I was gonna ask John this question. In your new book, The Song Machine, you sort of unveil uh, the workings behind uh, the new music industry, and you describe it very much as a, as a factory. And there's a totally new division of labor here, where, uh, the way I see it, before we had the band culture, like Abba, Ben, and Bjorn, right, where, you know, they're working culture. with the, the girls, uh, and, and now the producers, the artists, the musicians, they might never even meet in the same room. Right, I, I think specialization of labor is something yeah. that's definitely changed. I mean, it used to be you had somebody who wrote the melody and somebody who wrote the lyrics. Somebody sat at the piano kind of sketching out melodies and somebody wrote the lyrics, and that was how songs were written. In the real building, that was how mm. songs but now you basically got a producer who starts with a track, and he can make a lot of different tracks at the same time, and then he can get a, what they call a top liner in, which is the, what they call melody writers now, and the top liner comes in and can listen to any number of tracks until they find one that they like, and then come up with a hook. But then even beyond that, you get people who are specialists in sort of choruses, people who are specialists in bridges, people who write, add the outro, the intro, a lot of different people go into making up one song, which is quite different. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing is that um, there's people who specialize in sampling right. and people who specialize in beats. Right. And so, in, you know, from the old-fashioned point of view, it does seem quite 
constructed. So, you know, you do feel to a certain extent that you're being manipulated. I do, as a musician, I'm listening to this. Even though I might love the chorus and I don't know who's done what, um, once you, if you break it down, it does seem to dehumanize it a bit. And so, you know, even though it's, it's, fa it's fantastic and, yeah. you know, lo it's the lowest common denominator, people love it all mm -hmm. over the world, you know, it might not have the uh, long-term resonance or, right. or, or, or durability of a great... 60 songs. Yeah, yeah. of certain songs. Or yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's as relates to Sweden, particularly the ABBA songs. Right. I think we've gone back to melody, though, because for a long time, in the 90s, especially in the States, everything was the beat. And now the world is listening to melodies again, and that's another reason I think Sweden is doing so well, is they're not embarrassed to have melodies, and they're not embarrassed to have pop music. Mm. You know, for years in America, people were embarrassed to admit they liked ABBA. And then you two covered Dancing Queen, and everything was okay. Right. You know, it was all right. To, you could be sophisticated and like ABBA at the same time. So I think we've, we've accepted pop music, as, as has the world, and sweets happen to be the best at it right now. But, you know, I, I would add to that that although, yes, we may live in kind of a factory era in terms of the way songs are made, in terms of the way they're marketed, in terms of the way the artists are perceived, we're still very much in sort of a singer-songwriter era. So most people think that the artist yeah, writes yeah. the songs. And it's to, it's to the advantage of the artist and the label for, to have people think that. So the, the kind of ironic thing in America is that even though Swedes write fully, I mean, you look at the Billboard chart, three or four of this, every top ten, almost every week, right. is, is a Swede. No one really wants anyone to know that, you know. I mean, in Sweden, you want you want people to know. We that. want to have panels about it. But in America, <laughs> we, I mean, the artists and the labels don't want people to yeah. know that because they want people to think that, you know, these songs are. I mean, if a teenager knows that, you know, a, a five or six Swedes are writing all the songs that they love and think yeah. that Taylor Swift wrote, they're not going to be as psyched, I think, about those songs. Yeah, yeah but isn't, isn't that that's slightly sad, isn't it? It is a little bit sad. Well, we're very xenophobic in America. We really don't <laughs> care about your... I do, but we don't, <laughs> we don't care about like Europe. It's not like we go, yeah, Sweden wrote another yeah. one. Yeah. Go Europe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, it seems, too, like that songwriters perhaps like to be more anonymous sometimes. Swedes do. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about I Americans. Do they? That's no. another strength right. you have, is that you're cool. Your people are cool with like saying, I wrote this song, I don't have to be the artist, I don't need to take credit, I'll stay in the background. You know, no, I'll, I'll be Max Martin and never give an interview, even though you got people like me saying, please, Max, give me an interview. Yeah, but isn't that the, the concept of success in a way? Like, what, what is it Avicii has done? Right. He is, you know, I picked the best artist with the best song. with the be He's like this uh, manager of uh, creative uh, sure. content or, or something. But, but do people in America know he's Swedish? I think a few do, but I Not don't that think many. it's widely known. Really? Right? Yeah, not that many. Mm-hmm. Perhaps he should change his name, uh, add a son on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Something like that. Swedish yeah. house mafia. Put a couple <laughs> you of can't go wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah. No, but I think that the general point is you've got a nation of songwriters who maybe don't, some of them don't even want to be performers or artists, mm -hmm. and you've got another nation of people, all of whom want to be stars and artists but can't write their own songs. Mm -hmm. That's America. And you put them together. You know, it's a beautiful marriage, and that's kind of what Dennis Pop did, mm -hmm. really, and Sharon did. We've been talking a lot about uh, the, 
the creators or the uh, creative side, but the music industry is, is both creativity and commerce. Uh, would you say Sweden is stronger uh, on the creativity side or on the business side? Or well, well, both. I mean, both? a lot of the record labels, of course, are international. You know, you've got Universal and Warner and, and Sony have a presence here, and they're the ones really, they're the big, you know, players in the industry. And you can put out an album independently, but if you look at the charts, most of them are from those labels. So I think, you know, you have Swedish people running the local divisions of those companies, and they're certainly doing very well, so I would probably both. Mm. But you know, but then you think about Spotify, which mm. today's an interesting right. day to talk about Spotify, because it's a bit of a day of yeah. reckoning for Spotify. Have they launched now? Yeah. Anyone with a Apple? Apple? Yeah, we've been here. Anybody? Anybody? A few hours from now, yeah. so while Spotify's still around, let's talk right. about yeah. them. Yeah. Um, no, I think they will be around, but I, I think, I think was what I was saying earlier about sort of Swedish songwriters being able to transcend genres, I think in terms of how people listen to music on Spotify allows playlisting, sort of crossing genres, kind of really breaks the mold of radio where you had your, your, your R&B station, your pop station, your rock right. station. On Spotify it's kind of all mixed up and that seems to be the way that people are going to be listening to music going forward. So there again I think the Swedes have a real sort of foothold. I'm so that. old. I listen to albums. <laughs> yeah, well, that, you're the last person. Yeah, 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 yeah I yeah, probably yeah. am. On yeah. vinyl. Well, but vinyl's making No, but out. I mean, if I find a good song, I want to know more about, you know, yeah. what else is there. Well, you can there. listen to the album on Spotify, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. I wonder, I don't think the kids do that. No, but it, it is like the old Top 40. Day. I mean, that's how I grew up. Right. To listening to, mm. you know, the same station played Frank right. Sinatra, the Supremes, and Elvis, and everybody, and country. Right. And that's, yeah, what Spotify allows us to do. Right. Hip-hop to rock to pop. Because there are people who will listen to all of that, even though it doesn't seem that way. Um, I must say, from a musician's point of view, what Spotify have done is absolutely fantastic. Um, However, uh, monetizing it for musicians, especially as record shops and, and hard disks have, um, not hard disks, CDs, mm. uh, uh, diminishing incredibly and streaming is the future. Mm. There is a big problem, mm. not with Spotify and what they invented, uh, but with, again, with the major labels and how they distribute the money that Spotify pays them to mm. the artists. And that is a big, big problem for musicians mm. and going forward in the future for there to be music in existence over the next 10 or 20 years, mm. unless that can Definitely. be sorted out at government levels yeah. in America and uh, over here and the, the EC, mm. there will be no music because there'll be no musicians who can afford to actually be musicians. Right. So, you know, that it's it true. has its own inbuilt yeah. problems, you know. I totally agree, and and there's I think there's another aspect to that too, and and that is, you know, the the time. When do we see money? Because with internet, we had the long tail. Now the possibility is there to have revenue for a long time, but you know we have to wait, and we never know who's going to be as lucky as you. You've had a 40 plus long career with Roxy Music, uh, but. You know, not everyone's going to have that. So m most of 
the musicians will be waiting in vain. You know, they'll never see mm. that money. And, and I wanted to, to, to ask you that because we, it seems like we're getting more and more hit-oriented and, you know, where's the hook? Where's the, oh, there it is. Oh, yes. And I almost feel guilty because I love commercial American hip-hop and I'm just, you know, it's very predictable. Uh, but where is it taking us? And, and is there... Are we going to see bands like uh, who can have a sustainable, long-lasting career? The the music mm. of today is that going to happen? What do you think? Well, not unless they can afford to keep going. Yeah. And um, there has to be a new model, model, a new paradigm for the the whole music industry. People, the general public, want more and more music, and they love music more than ever, but they don't. They're into the habit now of not paying for it. Mm. And so we right. have to find right. another way, apart from selling T-shirts yep. yeah. at gigs or um, at getting sinks or getting into films, right. of actually, especially young musicians, because mm. every year there's a new crop mm. of wannabe right. bands, musicians, and people mm. with loads of enthusiasm. Mm. And then they gradually you know, find it more and more difficult mm. to, to sustain a career. You're mm. absolutely right, and, uh, unless these issues are addressed. Why is it that you know, there seemed to be a willingness to pay for the live experience? Uh, going back to the statistics, we see that more than half the pie of revenue comes from live concerts. Well, I, I think it goes to the feeling that maybe the music is quite processed, and the vocals are very processed in terms of the way they're recorded and auto-tuned. Um, the music is, is all, you know, basically made without instruments at all. Um, and so <laughs> you kind of miss, you know, the yeah. voice and, and the instrument if you're a music fan. And, and going to a concert gives you at least some access to that feeling, which used to be more on the record. Yeah. When so the band was playing on the well, record. Well, is this a sign of uh, uh, the listeners being somewhat critical to the song machine? Well, uh, you know, it's an interesting question. Uh, the, the history in our time, certainly, the history of pop music has been one of sort of swings in various, you know, you swing toward a kind of a mainstream pop direction. Then there's usually a reaction, yeah. and, and you go to grunge, or first before that, you went to punk, mm -hmm. you know, and 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 you go to metal or you go to grunt, there's always sort of a harder edge that comes in and, and reacts against that sort of blander mainstream pop. And that really hasn't happened. Uh, we haven't had a swing like that since maybe the early 2000s, hip hop kind of going mainstream. And I'm sort of waiting for that to happen, mm -hmm. waiting for a, a backlash. But I don't know. It doesn't seem to, I don't see it on the horizon, Fred. Maybe you can sense that's coming. Uh, well, I, actually, I was going to say it's sort of a badge of honor, like, since I'm older than a lot of people here. There are a lot of people here who weren't alive when Freddie Mercury was touring. And when I mention to someone, I'm not, I'm not in it for bragging rights, but if I say, oh, yeah, I saw Queen, or I saw Roxy Music, or I saw ELO, people just, their jaws drop, and they go, you saw them live? Well, of course, you guys are still touring. <laughs> But okay. you saw no. Freddie Mercury live, right. you know. You saw Jeff Lynne with Electric Light Orchestra, right. and it was no big. D uh, yeah, I went. Mm -hmm. I, I liked the band. I went to see them. Right. So you're all building bragging rights now for 20, 30 years from now, and you're telling people, "I went to see so and so," and people's jaws are going to drop because they don't believe you actually. But there's something about 
seeing the Beatles live or, the, or right. Elvis Presley live that creates a memory for life. Well, it, it's also seeing it with other people. Yeah. And that's right. why people like to go and commune together at a big it's festival. It's a social experience. Right. It's a social experience. But it's also dangerous <laughs> because everything could go wrong, in, 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 unless it's a, you know, a, a synth band programmed yeah. stuff mm. or dance music. It's a different thing. Mm. But uh, with the live band, it could all, the power could go. Mm. Anything could happen that the lead singer could drop dead. Fall off the or stage. Or, or, or off the stage, yeah, absolutely. So it is sort of exciting because it is a struggle. Playing live is a struggle. It's not easy to coalesce all the different elements and to have it come across well. It takes a lot of uh, time and effort. And I think there is that expectation before a band comes on or an artist comes on. It's very, very exciting which is a different experience when you're waiting for a track to come on the radio mm, or right. listen to it on, <laughs> on Spotify. You never know what's going to happen <laughs> with that track. You, so right. you, you yeah. do know what's right. going to happen. It's too predictable. I, I still don't totally agree with you uh, on that because uh, I, was it last year or two years ago, I went to the uh, Avicii concert uh, to, to see what it was like and how can this DJ fill 30,000, you know, two nights in mm. a row, what's going to happen, what's going on there? And um, of course, there were some people who really were there and into the music, but most of the kids were sort of running around out there where you buy sausages. And uh, I wonder if, you know, when I went to concerts when I was young, I was like, don't talk to me, <laughs> I'm right. here now. You uh, weren't on your phone. I wasn't on my phone. Right. I was totally, you know, into the music. And so right. it, to me, sometimes it seems like there is this um, devaluation of music going on in every segment. Um, or maybe, it, maybe it's festivals that have kind of replaced. You know, you go to a festival for a three-day music experience, and maybe that you, is it's the tiring. equivalent. It's tiring, but then you really mm. had that experience. Mm. You know, you've mm. lived in the mud, you know, I've done with that the bands. Too. <laughs> I, I just don't get it when people are at a concert and they're looking at it through their phones. Yeah. And the person's just a few feet away, uh, live on stage. Their yeah. only memory is going to be looking at it through their view screen. <laughs> is there a risk, you think, that the world will wake up one day and just had enough of this Swedish producer sound? Oh I God, hear I the Norwegians that. are doing well over there now. <laughs> Stargate. Some. Yeah. 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 A few, but not as many, you know. As, as from here, uh, oh, Sweden still has the lock. Everything changes. Everything is cyclical. Well, the other clever thing about Swedish writers, they are bringing in writers from England <laughs> <laughs> to help them write songs. I, I know someone personally <laughs> comes over every month, and so young yeah. people, you mm -hmm. know, so they're very, very clever. They're nurturing a new proto Swedes, and, and they've got a great foot in K-pop too. So if the English right, thing right. dries up, they got Korea and Asia happening too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> J-pop and K-pop. Yeah. And then C-pop, whenever that comes along. Right. right. Well, okay, I think um, our time is up. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all for well, sharing you your thoughts. Thank you, Linda. Thank, thank you, guys.
Thank you for listening to the Polar Talks 2015, which are brought to you in association with SAS Scandinavian Airlines.